Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, Finding God in the Music, Season 14, Track 4. The artist... Uh, is making their debut on Finding God in the Music. I'm sure they'll be thrilled to know. It's almost like getting a Grammy. And uh, they'll, they'll be saying, did you hear BC? Put us on. It's going to make their career now. Uh, the artist is The Killers. Anybody like The Killers? You don't like the name. Okay, all right. You're going to love this band before we get done. The Killers. They are a Las Vegas-based rock band formed in 2001 fronted by Brandon Flowers. They have released seven albums. All of them have gone to number one in the UK, huge in England. Uh, All of them have been at least in the top 10 in the United States. They've sold 22 million albums, so they're doing all right. They're pretty successful. Uh, Brandon Flowers is also known for his philanthropy. He's a very generous man and has given away lots and lots of his fortune to worthy causes. Following the terrible mass shooting in Las Vegas, the Killers did a benefit concert that raised $700,000 for the victims. So I think they're, they're good people. Uh, August 13th last year, so just like a year ago, they released their seventh album, Pressure Machine. I love this album. Uh, it came in, in my top five of the year. I always come up with the top five albums of the year. This came in, num- in number two, only beat out by Skinty Fia by Fontaine's DC. Um, Pressure Machine is a concept album. You have to listen to it. You can't just p- really pick songs. Well, we're going to do that today, but you need to listen to the whole album. It's a concept album. All of the songs are set in the adolescent hometown of Brandon Flowers, the primary singer-songwriter in the band, of Nephi, Utah. It's this small town out in western Utah. Population, I wrote it down here, 6,168. And all of the songs are set there. The whole album really is about life in small town USA, particularly in Nephi, Utah, for Brandon Flowers. It's probably... I just love this. The whole album's great. Um, it's, it's a little bit like it, and maybe a lot like it. reminds me of Bruce Springsteen's 1982 Nebraska album, which I think is the boss at his best. All right, the, the album, or the song that I've chosen from the album is Quiet Town. Quiet Town. Again, talking about Nephi, Utah, his adolescent hometown. Now, when Brandon Flowers was in eighth grade... Two seniors were in a car that got hit by a train and they were killed. And that's the song opens with that. And he talks about how devastating, how shocking that was. You know, eighth grade, and this happens. And it was sort of the end of innocence. And so that's how the song, so brace yourself, because that's how the song starts. Uh, it's a great album. It's a great song. So the killers with Quiet Town. I 
Pacific train Carrying sheet metal and household appliances Through the pouring rain They were planning on getting married after graduation Had a little baby girl Trouble came and shut it down Things like that ain't supposed to happen In this quiet town Families are tight
Come on now, that's, that's just a beautiful song. Very emotional, beautiful song. Every, everything about that. Very Dylan-esque song with its songcraft, its lyricism, even a harmonica, great melody. Uh, Quiet Town by the Killers. A couple of kids got hit by a Union Pacific train carrying sheet metal and household appliances through the pouring rain. You start a song like that? It's just, it's shocking. It, it just, it's, suddenly it's there. That's how an event like that though happens. You don't anticipate, and there it is. That's how the song opens with this. It's like being hit by a train, the opening of the song. Things like that ain't supposed to happen in this quiet town. Families are tight, good people. They still don't deadbolt their doors at night in this quiet town. He's singing about his adolescent hometown, Nephi, Utah. It's a good town. But it's not immune from tragedy. But still, it's a good town. It's a place where, it's a good place where bad things happen, which means it's planet Earth. Okay? When we first heard opioid stories, Perry just whispered to me during that. She said, leading cause of death for people in America between the ages of 18 and 45 are overdoses. When we first heard opioid stories, they were always in whispering tones. Now banners of sorrow mark the front steps of childhood homes. Parents wept through daddy's girl eulogies and merit badge milestones with their daughters and sons laying there lifeless in their suits and gowns. Somebody's been keeping secrets in this quiet town. Those are both brutal and beautiful lyrics. So well crafted. They know how to live. Good people who lean on Jesus. They're quick to forgive in this quiet town. So there's the juxtaposition Good people, people of faith, they lean on Jesus. They're quick to forgive, but still, that doesn't make them immune from tragedy. Now, whenever I'm near the town, I'll find some reason to give. I'll walk with the dead and the living where I used to live. And every time I see my parents in the prime of their lives, offering their son the kind of love he could never put down, part of me is still that stainless kid lucky in this quiet town. Well, that... That connects us with last week's song, Unconditional Lookout Kid. That song, Arcade Fire, Wynn Butler, written from the perspective of a parent pledging unconditional love to their young son. This song is Brandon Flowers, now in his early 40s, looking back on his childhood. And he was unconditionally loved by his parents. Every time I see my parents in the prime of their lives offering their son the kind of love he could never put down, part of me is still that stainless kid lucky in this quiet town. Unconditional love gives us a kind of stainlessness. I mean, what I'm saying is we can endure a lot if we know we are truly unconditionally loved. Salt of the land, hardworking people. If you're in trouble, they'll lend you a hand here in this quiet town. And the song ends like this. The first crop of hay is up. School let out and the sun beats down. Smoke billows from a Sunday train that cries away from a quiet town. Notice the song craft. It opens with this, with this train crashing into town, bringing tragedy. And other tragedies are addressed. 
but still they lean on Jesus, and still it's a good place. And now the train is crying away from the town, but the scene has changed to its, its pastoral and peaceful. It's a great song. One of the reasons I like this song, I like this song for all kinds of reasons, but one of the reasons I like this song is uh, Savannah, Missouri. I listened to this album dozens and dozens of times. I probably listened to this album probably 50 times, I'm guessing. And I can't listen to it without turning Nephi, Utah into Savannah, Missouri. I think of Savannah, Missouri basically as the Nephi, Utah of the Midwest. Very similar kind of place. I mean, and so I, I think about my childhood growing up in a small town. And, the, and in some ways it was idyllic. The whole town was my playground. Summertime, I'd just get on my bike and go wherever I wanted. And then at noon, from the courthouse, they would have the noon whistle. And that would be my signal to come home for lunch. And then I'd be back out all over town until it got dark. I come home, the, the signal to come home was it got dark. And I just, and it was kind of an idyllic life, but it, it, that doesn't make it immune to tragedy. I could tell all the stories, I'll just tell one. When I was a freshman in high school, a friend of mine, a year older, his name was Trent, he was killed in a car wreck. He just got his, he just got his license. It had a few months. He'd given me a ride home from band practice the week before. And he was driving. He lived in Country Club. And he, he was on DD. And had a car wreck and he was killed. And I just thought, just like, like that, gone. 16 years old, gone. The car that he was driving in which he was killed was taken to a salvage yard that was just across the street from the Dairy Queen. So you go to the Dairy Queen, you see that car that Trent was driving when he was killed. I thought it was obscene. I thought the car itself should be buried. We shouldn't even be able to see this. That was sort of, that marked, at least at one point, a kind of end of innocence where you understand that tragedy can come out of nowhere so suddenly. So we need to lean on Jesus, Amen. How are we going to lean on Jesus? What are we going to do with this? Well, let's start in Matthew 9, verse 1. After getting into a boat, Jesus crossed the sea and came to his own town. Capernaum. Capernaum. The city of Nahum. This, after Jesus began his ministry... Capernaum became his adopted hometown. A fishing village on the Sea of Galilee with a population of about 1,500. A quiet town. It's one of my favorite places to visit when we're in the Holy Land. Uh, there's a synagogue there that Jesus it would have been where Jesus most probably preached more than any other single place. There's a picture of me sitting there kind of happy 
It's a nice place to pray and meditate. There's, the site now is not, no longer a city. It's just a holy site. There's a Franciscan monastery there. They preserve the site. The house of Peter is there, which became a church in the first century. And the synagogue that Jesus preached in is there. And it's just one of my very favorite places to visit in our Holy Land pilgrimages. Capernaum, it really is the very center of Jesus' ministry. Um, here, I mean, Capernaum was a, was a real town. And if you're a real place, it means you have all the sorrows and pains and sufferings of real life. But Jesus was present among them as a healer. Here's some of the miracles of healing that Jesus performed in that little quiet town of Capernaum, a little village, fishing village of 1,500 people. He healed a man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue. He healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He healed a man with leprosy. Healed a man with a withered hand. Healed a mute demoniac. Healed two blind men. Healed the servant of a Roman centurion. Healed the paralytic lowered down through the roof. Healed the woman with the issue of blood. All of those healings happened in that one village. Capernaum. And there's at least one more healing Jesus performed in Capernaum. And I want to maybe take a little more time with this one. In Capernaum, the president or leader of the synagogue that we see the ruins of there was a man named Jairus. He was the leader of the synagogue, which means he heard Jesus preach a lot. And he saw Jesus do a lot of miracles of healing. Now Jairus and his wife, they had an only daughter who was 12 years old and she fell ill. Maybe it was a fever. You know, they didn't have much capacity to treat those things then. You know, either you would survive or you wouldn't and you didn't know. Their only daughter, 12 years old, fell ill and her condition continued to deteriorate. Till finally her breathing was very shallow and it was clear she was dying. She has maybe an hour, maybe not that. She's dying. Of course, what is Jairus thinking? He's seen Jesus do all these miracles, but Jesus isn't in town. He's out on one of his preaching tours. So Jesus isn't there. When he needs him most, he's not there. She's dying. There's nothing they can do. They sit by her bedside. They hold vigil. There's nothing they can do. But then word comes to Jairus that Jesus is just now returning. He's been on the other side. He's been over in the area of Gadara, over there by Corsi. He's been on the other side. And he's, come, he's returned in a boat. And Jairus bolts out of his house and he runs to where Jesus is just getting out of that boat and he flings himself down on the ground before Jesus and he says my little girl is dying please 
I beg you, please, please come lay your hands on her that she might live. Please, Jesus. And he just kept saying this. Please, Jesus. She's about to die. Jesus, please come now. Please come. And Jesus, all right, let's go. And so they begin to move toward the house. Of course, I don't think Jesus is walking as fast as Jairus wants him to. She could die at any moment. And then Jesus is interrupted. They're walking to his house where this girl is dying. And Jesus stops. He said, who touched me? Somebody touched me. And they said, well, there's all kinds of people around here. People are, everybody's touching you. No, 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 somebody touched me. I felt power go out. And Jairus, you know, is going, come on. We don't have time for this. Our time, Jesus' time, hardly ever in sync. Jesus will not be rushed. No, he, he stops and he inquires and he finds this woman. This is the woman with the issue of blood that has touched the hem of his garment. She didn't say anything. She didn't ask him anything. She didn't do anything other than surreptitiously touch the hem of his garment. But then Jesus stopped and said, well, what's going on here? See, don't forget the story is that there's a 12-year-old girl about to die. But Jesus still stops. Doesn't feel the urgency that Jairus does. And he has this conversation with this woman. And she tells him the whole story. Well, I had this for 18 years. And I went to all the doctors. And she gives her, you know how people can talk about their medical conditions. <laughs> she tells the whole story. And Jairus says, well, come on. And they have this nice, lovely conversation. And, and she says, well, you know, it's your faith that's made you well, daughter. Go in peace. And then someone with a long face walks up to Jairus. And he just, he just says it. Your daughter is dead. There's no point in troubling the teacher anymore. But Jesus overheard that. Every tragic news that has come into your life, Jesus heard it. It wasn't addressed to Jesus. It was said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. There's no point. Why bother the teacher? But Jesus heard it and he said, you know what he said? He said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. And they went to the house. And the funeral was already underway. This Jewish culture, they bury people within 24 hours of death. The funeral has already begun. People are weeping, people are wailing, they're playing the funeral songs. The funeral is underway. Jesus arrives at this scene of sorrow with people weeping and wailing and a funeral already underway. And Jesus says, why are you weeping? The child's not dead, she's just asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. It's funny how people can go so quickly from weeping to laughing, but they did. And Jesus put them, get, get out of here, get out of here. And he put them all out of the house except for the mother and the father. And they went into the room where the little girl 
was lying. How's that lyric in the song go? Lying there lifeless in their suits and gowns. There she's lying there lifeless in her gown. Jesus walks up to where a 12-year-old girl lying lifeless in her gown, and he takes her by the hand. And he says, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. I love it that Mark, he wants us to hear it exactly as it was, so it's, he doesn't write it in Greek. He leaves it in the Aramaic that Jesus was actually speaking. So you hear exactly what Jesus said. Talitha kum. It means, little girl, get up. Talitha kum. And she opened her eyes and sat up, stood to her feet, and began to walk. And I'm sure her parents rushed to her, and there was this reunion of mother and father and daughter. And Jesus said to the parents, don't tell anybody about this. I think that was unrealistic, Jesus. I don't want to argue with Jesus, but I think that's unrealistic. He said, don't tell anybody about this and give her something to eat. Oh, what a beautiful story. This is the beautiful miracle that undid a tragedy in the quiet town of Capernaum. I suppose the greatest tragedy that can befall a small town or anywhere is the death of a child. And this is the tragedy Jesus undoes in the raising of Jairus' daughter. Okay. I know what you're thinking, though. Well, that's wonderful. But what about those couple of kids that got hit by a Union Pacific train carrying sheet metal and housing, housing appliances through the pouring rain? What about, what about Trent? What about, what about the ones we all know? I mean, that's great for Jairus, but what about us? Well, the suffering and death of children is the greatest challenge to what we confess to believe about God. That God is almighty and God is all good. And yet, a couple of kids get hit by a Union Pacific train. The attempt to reconcile the goodness of God with the problem of pain, and in its most egregious form, the problem of pain is the suffering and death of children. The attempt to reconcile the goodness of God with the problem of pain set forth most starkly in the suffering and death of children is what we call theodicy. 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 And it's dicey, my friends. How do we reconcile these things? We confess that God... Almighty is all good, and yet these tragedies befall us. Well, it's dicey. It's not easy. The Bible is aware of the problem, though. It's set forth regularly in the Psalms, the problem of unjust suffering. And the book of Job for all of, all of its wisdom, is not a theodicy. It doesn't really try to solve the problem. 
the book of Job, we see an innocent man suffering horribly. And then he has to suffer further because of his cruel friends, because their theodicy, the way they try to reconcile all this is to blame Job, even though we're told repeatedly that he is blameless. But their theodicy, their attempt to reconcile the irreconcilable is to blame Job. And so that just compounds his suffering. They become possessed with the Satan, the accuser. And the problem is never solved, even in the overawing, overawing whirlwind speeches of Yahweh when God comes to Job, there's no real resolution to the problem of unjust suffering, especially the death of children. So what do I say about it? Well, the only theodicy I know comes in two movements, cross and apocatastasis. First of all, at the cross, we discover a God who does not exempt himself from human suffering. We can ask, you know, why, why does it have to be this way? Why? I mean, we, can, we make appeals to freedom and sin and consequence, but that's this not entirely satisfactory. But at least we can say this much, God does not hold himself aloof. God enters into it fully with us. If we suffer, God suffers. Only the suffering God can help, Bonhoeffer said. And so God in Christ fully enters into the phenomenon of unjust suffering, especially at the cross. But I'll be honest, divine solidarity and human suffering, comforting though that may be, only gets us so far. So that's why I continue on with my sermon. The cross is not just where God in Christ joins us in our suffering so we don't suffer alone. I mean, there is comfort there that we are not suffering alone, that Christ suffers with us. But the cross is not just where God in Christ joins us in solidarity of suffering so that we don't suffer alone. The cross is also the point from which Christ enters into death to undo death itself. Enters into death to undo death itself. What Jesus did for the family of Jairus in Capernaum when a little girl died is what the crucified Christ will do for all of creation. And that is what we mean by apocatastasis. I know I've been using that word a lot because I want to normalize that word. I want you to know that word. All you Greek scholars out there, do not criticize my pronunciation. I can't say it right. I'm just trying to anglicize it. I want, I, want every, I want all word lifers to, to know apocatastasis. Say it with me, apocatastasis. It's about the most beautiful word I know. You say, what does that word mean again? It means restoration of all things. Apocatastasis pas, the restoration of all, all, all that's gone wrong made right. It's what Lady Julian is talking about when she says all shall be well and all shall be well, and all, shall, all manner of things shall be apocatastasis. It's a Bible word in the Greek. The apostle Peter said heaven must receive Jesus. Remember, when this tragedy first began to unfold in Capernaum, Jairus had a hard time finding Jesus, but he showed up. Apostle Peter says, 
Heaven must receive Jesus until the time of universal restoration. Apocatastasis. That God announced long ago through his holy prophets. So the apostle Peter says there's going to be a time when all things are restored. When all that is broken, all that is wrong, all that is harm is going to be undone. And it's going to happen through Jesus. And by the way, this is what the prophets were all talking about. The prophets long ago announced this. And Jesus is the one who's going to implement it, the restoration of all things. Well, let's look at an example. At the very end of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, the very end of that most majestic of all of the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah writes, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. Oh, do you see that? See that promise? It's a promise of new heavens and new earth, which the Lord will make. And as they remain, as the new heavens and new earth remain, so shall your offspring and your name remain. That means live. That means live. That means eternal life. In the new heavens and new earth, you and your offspring shall remain. Live. Apocatastasis. To every child lost unto death, Jesus will say, Talithakum. And they shall rise and they shall remain. To every family member that you've lost to death, mother, father, husband, wife, brother, sister, son or daughter, Jesus will say to them what he said to Lazarus, come forth. To all of creation now in bondage to decay and death, Jesus will say, behold, I make all things new. I told you I'd keep my promise of giving you good news like an avalanche falling down upon your head. This is our theodicy, the cross and apocatastasis. The cross in that Christ suffers with us, but not, that's not the whole message of the cross. Cross also becomes the way by which Jesus goes down into death to undo death, that he might ultimately fulfill the promise of restoring all things in a new heaven and a new earth. That's the good news. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. Whew, I feel good now. A little James Brown music now. But I will not be attempting the James Brown split, no matter how good I feel. <laughs> that would not come off well. All shall be well. And all shall be well. 
and all manner of things shall be well. I know it's not happening as fast as you and I would like, but it will happen and it will be well. This is the gospel. Join with me in confessing our, our Christian faith that sustains all that we confess here today. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Come on and just praise the Lord for that confession of faith. Amen. And now let's, let's receive the Lord's forgiveness. Let's just be honest with the Lord. If we're honest and humble, forgiveness flows to us grace upon grace. Join with me in praying. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.